in a very difficult place. Uh, as you know, he had committed a terrible sin with Bathsheba, and Nathan the prophet had came to David and had helped David see uh, the great problem and understand the sin that he had committed. And, and I told you I hated to leave you there with David in that place, but uh, we didn't really have time to get into David's repentance. And so we're going to do that this morning. So if you would take your Bible and turn to Psalm 51. Psalm 51, and as you turn there, we're going to look this morning, and I've titled the message, How to Get Back Up When You Have Fallen Down, A Lesson in Repentance. Some of you remember the commercial from some years back. You know, it was, I think, a commercial for one of the little necklaces, you know, for that you could press for an emergency 911, and you had an elderly lady, and, and uh, she uh, showed her on the ground, and, and her phrase was, Help, I've fallen, and I can't get up. Well, it was, you know, a very serious thing. That is a serious thing for people to fall and not be able to get up. Uh, but it became somewhat of a, uh, a funny uh, little phrase that people would use, help I've fallen and I can't get up. But in a spiritual sense, sometimes people get in that situation. Like David, they sin, they do something wrong, uh, but rather than being restored and being forgiven, it seems that they continue to exist in that fallen state. Either they are ashamed or for whatever reason, they just can't reconnect and get back and keep moving forward. And that is not God's uh, purpose. That is not God's will. God's will is for us, when we have fallen, to be restored. Now, sometimes we have a misunderstanding of what repentance is. Anybody remember Jerry Clower? I'm sure some of you older folks do. Uh, he was one of my favorite comedians of years past. But he had a, a favorite family that he liked to use examples of. And that was uh, the Ledbetter family. And by the way, if you study any about Jerry Clower, he took and he changed the names to protect the guilty. But he really used uh, some of the impressions of people that he grew up with there in, in Mississippi and uh, kind of embellished upon it. Uh, but he had this family he called the Ledbetters. And if you'll remember... Uh, I believe one of the Ledbetters was Marcel. And the story was that Marcel would climb a tree to tell a lie when he could stand on the ground and tell the truth. He just loved to lie, and he would always lie. That was a problem he had. And uh, he tells the story of how somebody in the neighborhood had a collie dog, a new collie dog, and big collie dogs. And, and they had cut his hair and left a big wad of hair around his neck and had cut him real short on his body. And when Marcel saw that dog, he'd come running in the house and said, there's a lion in the yard, a lion in the yard. And uh, his daddy, Uncle Versi, had so sick and tired, he said, Marcel, he said, if you don't stop that lion, he says, I have beat you, I have whipped you, I don't know what to do with you to get you to quit lying. He says, I'm turning it over to the Lord. He said, what I want you to do is you go up in your bedroom and you get on your knees and you pray and you repent of the sin of lying and you don't come back down here until God has made you uh, assured, He has assured you that He has forgiven you of the sin of lying. He said, now you get up there and don't come back down here. He said, an hour or two went by. Marcel came down. He said, Uncle Versi said, now, he said, did you pray? He said, yes, sir. He said, I've prayed hard as I've ever prayed in my life. I've been on my knees praying and crying for God to forgive me a lie. He says, well, he said, did the Lord assure you of his forgiveness. He said, yes, sir. He said, the Lord spoke to me. And he reached his hand back and said, boy, I have, I, he said, I have told you to stop that line. He said, no, sir. I, I tell you the truth. The Lord spoke to me. He said, well, what did he say? He said, the first time he saw that dog, he thought it was a lion too. 
Well, I'm afraid that for many of us, repentance is something along the line of Marcel Ledbetter's repentance. Uh, we don't look of repentance as adhering ourselves to God's standard. We somehow think, well, you know, God and I are buddies, and I'm going to have a little talk with Him, and, and God kind of understands my situation, and God knows kind of how I am, and, and it's not really that big a deal. But we're going to find out this morning in Psalm 51 that repentance is a very serious business. And we're going to get a lesson in repentance from David in Psalm 51. Now you'll remember if you go back and you look at 2 Samuel uh, chapter 12 where we were before. Remember David had committed adultery. He had committed murder. He had arranged to have the husband of Bathsheba to be killed in battle. Uh, and he had had him placed in a dangerous place and he knew he would be killed. So that would free up David to be able to take Bathsheba to be his wife and the pregnancy that she carried, which was his baby. No one would know that that was uh, conceived out of wedlock. It would all be covered up and, and nobody would know anything about it. David would still be the great honored king and it wouldn't be a big deal. And so David thought everything was okay. And you remember God sent the prophet Nathan and he came in and and Nathan told David the story. And remember, David was a shepherd. He grew up tending sheep. And Nathan told David that story about the little poor man who had a little lamb that was their pet lamb. And the lamb slept with him and ate with him. And all the, the children of the poor man loved that lamb. And there was a rich man who lived next to the poor man. And he had thousands of sheep and great flocks. And he had an important visitor who came to visit him. And, and the rich man wouldn't take and kill one of his sheep and feed his rich guests. Instead, he went and took the lamb, the little pet lamb, from his poor neighbor, and he killed the pet lamb and fed it to his guest. And you know, as I shared with you, I'm sure David, being a shepherd, having grown up as a young shepherd, had no doubt had pet lambs before, and this angered David. And you know, David looked at Nathan and uh, the, I'm sure his face was beat red and he was very angry. The Bible says he was exceedingly angry and he said, the man who did this will die today. And you remember what happened. Nathan looked at David and he pointed at David and he said, you are the man, O king. You're the man who did this thing because God had given you all of this kingdom and He gave you all the wives that He gave you and you could have had even more, but yet you took your poor neighbor Uriah and you killed him with the sword and you took his wife. You're the man, David. And what we're going to find out about repentance today is the very first thing that has to happen if we are to repent is we have to understand the darkness of our sin. And to me, it is a very scary thought that David, having done all that he did for the Lord, he was blind to his own sin. I don't know about you, but that scares me. That scares me that a man like David could have committed such a sin, but yet have been blinded to his sin. That reminds me that I must be very careful. You must be very careful. It is very easy for us to overlook our sin, clearly see the sins and faults of others, but for us, it's just, you know, that's just how I am. It's not that big a deal. You know, I can handle it, whatever the case may be. We don't recognize our own sin. And David was such a man. And the first thing that God had to do, God had to bring conviction to the heart of David. And if you look in Psalm 51, that is the very first step 
in how to get up when you've fallen is we must have conviction from the Lord. And in Psalm 51, if you look in verse 16 and 17, David says, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. So the first thing that has to happen before you can repent is you have to recognize the need for repentance. Young preacher was asking an older preacher, he says, I, you know, how do you get folks saved? I just want to know how do we get folks saved? And the old preacher said, well, before you can get them saved, you have to get them lost. Before you can get them saved, you have to get them lost. Nobody comes to God unless they believe that they have a need for God. And only the Holy Spirit of God, when the Word of God can awaken that recognition in my heart, in your heart, that we need God. Only the conviction of the Holy Spirit can make us aware that we need forgiveness. And that's what God did with David. He brought Nathan in. He convicted David of his sin. And David had a broken and a contrite spirit. And by the way, I'm, I'm sure you already are aware of this, but if you look at the introduction to Psalm 51, you'll notice that it tells us that it is a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So this is David in his prayer of repentance. This is where David's heart was. This is a wonderful picture in how you and I need to repent whenever we've fallen short. So the first thing that we must have is conviction. You can't repent unless you know and believe that you need to repent. So David was convicted of his sin. And notice the next thing, if you go there to verse number 1. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the t multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions and wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Notice the very first verse, David says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness and according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Number one, you must be convicted of your sin in order to be forgiven. And number two, you must have confidence that God will forgive your sin. I mean, why would I want to come to a God and tell Him my sin if I didn't believe He would forgive me? If He's the great judge, my reaction would be, I mean, what does a criminal do? You know, when uh, he's committed a crime and he sees a police car. Well, he runs generally. Well, if he's smart, he doesn't run immediately. You know, he looks like he's not afraid, but he, he tries to get away from judgment. What does a man in prison do when he breaks out of prison? He gets as far away from prison as he can. Remember the Johnny Cash song? We've we got Jerry Clower and we've got Johnny Cash so far this morning. Remember Johnny Cash in, in, in Folsom Prison Blues? I think one of the uh, verses of that song, he says, you know, I want to get as far away from this prison as I can. That's what a man who is in prison does. And you know, you and I, if we are sinners and God is a righteous and a holy God, our immediate reaction is to get away from God. That's why it is difficult for people who are living outside the will of God sometimes to be exposed to the things of God. They don't want to be around God. But my friend, the Bible says, the Lord says, Come to me, 
all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Lord said to come unto me and let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. So the sinner can rest assured that God desires for sinners to come to Him. God will forgive our sin. And when David came to God, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Not according to the amount that I deserve it. Not because I'm a giant slayer. Not because I'm a man after your own heart. But Lord, have mercy upon me because of your character. Because you are a God of of loving kindness. And you are a God of mercy. So David had conviction and he had confidence that God would hear his prayer because God was a merciful God. As a matter of fact, if God had no interest in David being forgiven, why would he have sent Nathan to convict him of his sin. God could just send judgment. But God does not desire to send judgment upon David. What he desired was for David to be forgiven. And my friend, if you ever are are convicted of your sin, you should shout hallelujah because that is a sign from God that He desires for you to be forgiven. Not for you to be judged. He is convicting you so that you might be forgiven and you might be restored. I know all as parents, you've no doubt had situations with your children before where you knew that your your child had done something, but your child did not know that you knew they had done something. And and a lot of times, parents, you'll try to give them an opportunity, right? You're going to kind of bring them in and you're like, you know, I'm thinking, I'm going to kind of ask what went on. And I'm going to see if they're going to tell me the truth. I'm going to find out if they're going to be honest with me and tell me what happened, and you're already thinking, if they tell me the truth, if they'll be honest, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a little easier. You know, I'm, I'm going to help make this a lot easier. But if they cover it up, if they lie to me, you're like, okay, then that's another story. You know, that's going to be a different situation. Well, my friend, conviction, God is our Heavenly Father. He so often, He is offering us a chance to be honest. He's saying, come and and confess your sin. I desire to restore you. I want you to be restored. I want you to be forgiven. But you have to confess. You have to bring your sin. And so David had that confidence that God was that kind of God. Now notice what else David did. Notice there in in the latter part of verse 1. He says, blot out my transgressions. That's the removal of sin's penalty. He's saying, blot out my transgressions. Take my transgressions away. Remove them. And then he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You know, David felt unclean and dirty. Can you imagine David? David must have bathed in marble, uh, marble tubs every night. He must have slept in silken sheets, white and pure, washed every day. But yet David, in all of that beauty and all of that grandeur, he felt dirty inside. Because he, was rec- he had a recognition of his sin. And so David says, I want to be clean again. I want you to blot out my transgression. I want you to wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. I want you to cleanse me from my stain. And notice over in verse number 7. He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. You know, in Isaiah 1.18, the prophet says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they will be as wool. Sin is a stain upon us. You know, physically we need to be clean. 
By the way, my mother told me this when I was a child, and I have always remembered it. I didn't remember everything she told me, but I have remembered some things. And, and you know, as a child, I, I sometimes jokingly say that I take a bath once a week whether I need it or not. But I'm going to confess to you. When I was a child, I kind of got the idea. I can't remember how old I was, but, you know, there's no need to take a bath every night. You know, there's no need in that. And, and uh, my mama caught on, I think, about the third day, you know. And she looked behind my ears, and, you know, I just had old dirt, you know, crudded up behind my ears. I remember she washed behind my ears. And, and uh, then I remember her giving me a little speech, and uh, she said, Now, listen, if you don't take a bath, you will stink. And I, and I remember, I think my answer may have been, yeah, but, if I, but I'll smell myself and I'll know, you know, that I, I don't stink. He said, well, for some reason, other people smell you before you smell yourself. You know, and, and no doubt we've all been around folks, maybe in an airport or a public place, and uh, you're like, can't they smell that? Can't they smell themselves? Don't they know that they need to take a bath? Well, in a physical sense, that is true. It's amazing how people will walk around stinking and filthy and seemingly not care. And you have to assume that they just, surely they don't smell, that they can't tell how bad they stink. Oh, they'd take a bath. They'd put on some deodorant. They would do something to, to not smell that bad, but they don't smell themselves. And in a spiritual sense, there are people walking around who are stinking spiritually, but yet they don't smell themselves. They don't realize how, they, how terrible they stink. And again, David was blessed of God to, to have God send Nathan to him and say, David, you stink. David, you need to take a bath. You are stinking with sin. You're full of filth and you need to be cleansed. And David, in recognition of that, he's asking God, Lord, cleanse me and make me clean. He recognizes that he needs to have his sin Removed, And you and I, if we want to be clean, cleansed from our sin, we want to repent, we must be convicted. We must have confidence that God will forgive us based on His Word. And we come to Him and we ask Him to cleanse us, to remove our sin and to wash us from our sin. Well, notice there in verse 3. He says, For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. My mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. There's two parts, I believe, to David's confession. The first part is that he took full responsibility for his sin. Notice what he says in verse 3 and verse 5. He says, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. And verse 5, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. David doesn't blame anyone else. He doesn't say, Lord, the reason I did that, I did that was, you know, those wives that you've given me, they just they don't meet my needs. They don't pay me any attention. You know, they're always saying bad things about me. Uh, you know, whatever the case might be, there's always a reason. We always can, can make an excuse for our sin. There's always an excuse to be made. And David did not do that. David says, Lord, I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. He says, I was born in iniquity. He says, Lord, I realize I was born a sinner. That my nature is to sin. And Lord, I recognize, I confess my sin. Again, another step to getting up if you've fallen is don't make excuses. 
Don't make excuses for your sin. There's always reasons. There's always reasons why we do the things we do. But if we want to be right with God, we have to not make excuses and we have to take full responsibility. I was listening to someone some, some time back talking about how to apologize. And I realized that, that I have always apologized in the wrong way. Yeah, you know, this is my favorite way to apologize. Well, if I said anything that, that, that offended you, I'm sorry. Or if what I said bothered you, I'm sorry. And it, I was really offended when the guy said this. I was listening to him. He says, you can just throw that apology out the window. That's not worth I thought, well, that's the only way I've ever apologized. If, he said, a true apology does away with the if. A true apology says, you leave that part out. Because what you're doing is like, well, I don't really know if I did anything wrong. But if I did, you know, if you have such a, uh, you know, your constitution is so tender, you couldn't take what little thing I said. If that bothered you, well, I'm sorry. You know, that's, I thought, well, you know, that's kind of my apology. And what an arrogant apology. A true apology leaves the if part off and says, listen, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry for what I said. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry for what I did. I shouldn't have, have done that. And you see, David left that if part off of his confession. He didn't say, well, Lord, you know, if that really bothered you, what I did, I'm sorry. Lord, if, if that was a problem, I didn't realize it, I'm, I'm sorry. He says, no, I acknowledge I have sinned. No if. Not, not if it bothered you, I'm sorry. Lord, I am sorry. I sinned. I take full responsibility. There is no if. There is no maybe. There is no yeah, but here's why. I've sinned. And I bear full responsibility. And I ask you to forgive me. He confessed. And the second part of that confession was he recognized whose law he had broken. And this is a part that sometimes uh, is confusing when we read it. He says, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. He says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Now, David is saying, Listen, Lord, I know that it was against you and you only that I sinned. Hold on, buddy. His confession was not that he did not make excuses and that he said, Listen, I take full responsibility for my sin. But the second part of his confession was he recognized whose law he had broken. You know, we live in a culture today that doesn't like absolutes. And I hear words like, well, this is the social norm. Or, you know, you're in my safe place. Or, uh, you know, this is maybe it's offensive to me, what you said. Well, all of those may be things that, that we could debate and talk about. There are social norms and there are quote, safe places where we feel uh, safe and all this kind of stuff. But listen, there is also something called the law of God. God has a moral law. And that transcends whatever social norm there is. That transcends whatever is offensive to me or offensive to you. It's God's moral absolutes. And what David recognized was that, God, I have, I have broken your law. Yes, I've killed Uriah. Yes, I hurt many other people in the process of breaking your law. But the real offense is that I broke your moral law. And unless we recognize that, we never have truly repented. 
Because it is not simply a question of social norms. It is not simply a question of I find what you did offensive. That is not the standard by by which we measure right and wrong. We measure right and wrong by what God's moral law says. And that is why David in Psalm 51 makes the statement against you and you only have I sinned. Yes, I hurt other people. That's true. But that, that is not what made it a sin. What made it a sin is the fact that there is a God who gives us right and wrong. You know, we are in a place today where people are, people are debating the whole essence of right and wrong and is this moral, is this immoral. And where our culture is today, our culture is, is you know, basically right and wrong depends on the culture and if it offends somebody and so forth and so on. And, and that, is, that is why David said that. That is not what determines right and wrong. What determines right and wrong is God's moral law. And that is why David said, it is against you and you only have I sinned. So when we talk about repentance, we're not just talking about making up with our neighbor and saying, I'm sorry that I offended you. That's fine. But true repentance focuses on God. It is God who makes law, moral law, who gives us right and wrong. Without God, there is no right and wrong. Without God, there is no such a thing as sin. Without God, there's no need for repentance. But with God, there is right and there is wrong. So that's what David said. He recognized that he was the one to blame. He took full responsibility. And secondly, he recognized whose law he had broken. Well, notice in verse 10, there's a conversion that takes place. Or I'm sorry, verse 8. He says, Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. And then verse number 12. He says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. There in verse 8 and verse 12, we see restoration. That is part of the purpose of repentance. We come to God that we might be restored. And David says, Lord, I want you to take the bones that you have broken and heal those bones. Take the bones that you have broken and let me hear joy and gladness. Lord, he says in verse 12, Restore to me the joy of salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. The purpose of repentance is restoration. You know, God brought conviction to David's heart. He brought misery to David's heart when he recognized the wrong he had done. But that was not God's purpose. God's purpose was through that misery and through that conviction to bring restoration. I think I've shared, when I was growing up, I can remember the preacher, the pastor we had would sometimes during the invitation say, Lord, if there's anyone here, you know, who's not made a decision for you and they leave this place uh, without you, I pray that they will be miserable until we come back here again. I can remember thinking, well, that's a little mean there, uh, pastor, isn't it? You know, you want them to be miserable. That's exactly, that's exactly what God did through Nathan. That's what David is talking about. You broke my bones, God, with your conviction. You made me miserable. Now, God, I come to you in repentance. I want you to restore those bones that you've broken. I want you to restore to me the joy of my salvation. It was because that fellowship was broken that David sought after that reconciliation. You know, the the relationship between Jesus and the church is seen as a bride and her husband. And sometimes, uh, you know, a couple, they, they have a spat. They have a disagreement. 
And what is, what is one of the driving forces of that disagreement getting reconciled? It's the fact that the fellowship is broken. That they're upset with one another and that makes both people miserable and upset. And we're not getting along and, and we don't have any communication and I'm, I, I feel bad about that. And, and the fact that you feel bad about it motivates you and prompts you, I need to do something about it. I need, I need to reach out to my spouse. I need to apologize. I need to make things right. And, and you want to restore the joy of your relationship together. And that is what David is talking about. This fellowship with God has been broken because of David's sin. And, and David says, Lord, I want to be restored. I want to be back where we used to be. And then notice his uh, conversion that occurs in verse number 10. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. There. In that passage, David is talking about a change in the inward man. You know why David sinned? Because his heart had grown cold to the things of God. You know, again, I love to quote Adrian Rogers, and I always remember something he said. He says, sometimes, you know, we'll see a godly person that, that fell into sin, and you'll hear somebody make the comment, how far they fell. And he said, they didn't fall that far. You don't know how low they were living. In other words, he was talking about the mind. You don't go from way up here, walking with God and with fellowshipping with Him and singing His praise and praying, and, and you don't just all of a sudden trip and fall into sin, generally speaking. I guess that's possible. But that's not the way it usually works. What happens is you're way up here spiritually. And in your heart and in your private life, you begin to slowly come down. And you're like a, an eagle that's just, you quit flapping your wings, you're just kind of gliding. You know, I mentioned cruise control. You're just on cruise control. And you're slowly coasting, slowly coasting. And, and like an eagle that doesn't flap his wings, he, he's going to gradually get closer and closer. He's that, that Whatever uplift he was on, he's going to gradually get closer and closer to the ground. And that's what happens. And, and that's why David says, Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. The problem when we sin is on the inside. We grew cold in our relationship with God. The same thing is with a husband and a wife. You know, a husband and a wife, they're not getting along one minute, one day, just you know, happy as a lark, and the next day they're divorcing. It doesn't happen that way. It's a, it's a slow process of drifting slowly apart. Slowly drifting apart, usually over years. And over, over many years, it first happens on the inside. And that couple begins to drift apart. And then finally it begins to manifest itself in the things you do and the, and the things you say and the way you treat one another. And eventually the divorce really is just a formality. For all practical purposes, you've been divorced for years. You haven't been a couple for years. But finally you just put the, you put the ink to it and make it official. That's how divorces happen. And that's what happens in our relationship with God. We, we drift away from God. I may come to church and keep preaching sermons. But that doesn't mean that I'm walking with God. You may teach your Sunday school lesson or, or sing or do whatever it is you do. You can do these things. You do them in the flesh. And, and we might do them just by repetition or by habit. But they're not coming from God. We're not walking with God. And so David recognizes that for me to be back where I need to be, I need to have my heart right. And true repentance is not simply changing what we do on the outside, changing our actions, but it's asking God to change us on the inside, to create in us and to give us that renewed spirit and that fellowship with Him. Well, quickly as we try to wrap up here, notice there 
What David does, and he promises there in verse 13, he's, he's asked God uh, to cleanse him and to restore him. And he says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. David says, God, forgive me. Forgive me that I might serve you again. Forgive me that I might tell sinners your ways. I have been an embarrassment to you. I have cast, I have cast blasphemy on your name by my actions. But God, I ask you to forgive me and restore me. And Lord, I will serve you yet again. I will go forth and I will sing your praises and I will speak of your name. And I think of what the prophet Isaiah said in or actually the psalmist David said in Psalm 40, verse 1, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord and He inclined to me and he, and, he, and he heard my cry. He brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and He set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. I want to close by reading a passage, seven ver- or six verses actually, from Psalm 32. By the way, if you want a little homework, uh, Bible scholars tell us as they study the Psalms that they divide the Psalms up into different parts. And there are seven penitent Psalms that Bible scholars recognize and give to us. And what I mean by that is seven Psalms that focus on repentance and forgiveness. And if you want to jot them down right quick, right quick it's Psalm 6, Psalm 32... Psalm 38, Psalm 51, Psalm 102, Psalm 130, and Psalm 143. And in Psalm 51, we have looked at today, that is the psalm that David wrote after Nathan came to him. And in Psalm 51, David is asking for forgiveness. He's confessing his sin. He's asking God to forgive him. But over in Psalm 32, if you look at the heading in many Bibles, the heading of Psalm 32 is the joy of forgiveness. And Psalm 32 is also a psalm of David that Bible scholars tell us David wrote after he had prayed and asked God to forgive him in Psalm 51. And God had forgiven David. Remember, Nathan gave him the assurance. He said, God has put away your sin. You will not die. And in Psalm 32 is the penitent sinner, the repentant sinner, who has come to the Lord, who has asked for forgiveness, and God has given that sinner the assurance of forgiveness. And notice what David says in the first few verses of Psalm 32. He says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old. Through my groaning all the day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And David, he he goes on through the rest of that chapter, and he speaks about the joy of being Forgiven. The title of the message today, How to Get Up When You Have Fallen. A lesson in repentance from David.
David got on the slippery slope of sin and he fell. But thank God he did not stay in that mud and in that muck and in that mire. But David reached out with confidence to God, with humility in his own worthiness, with confession, with recognition that he had done wrong, blaming no one else. David reached up to God and he asked God for forgiveness. And in Psalm 32, David wrote that beautiful psalm where he says that God has forgiven me of my sin and I thank Him for it. Remember I've shared with you, when we look at David and we look at Saul, David did things just as bad, if not worse, than Saul did. But there was one difference. We never see where Saul truly repented. But David did. David knew how to repent. Was David a great sinner? Yes, he was. But you know what else David was? He was a great repenter. He was a great repenter. And my friend, we are all sinners. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Your path to right standing with God is not to say, well, I haven't done anything wrong. I'm trying to stay clean. No, my friend, my path and your path to being right with God is not to focus on never doing anything wrong, but it is to keep a repentant heart. To keep a repentant heart. To learn what it means to truly repent. And when God convicts us and He makes us aware that there's something in our life that's not right, don't make excuses. Don't run away. Don't say, well, I'll just keep it to myself. But do like David. Acknowledge it. Confess it. Own it. And repent of it. And say, God, take and cleanse me and make me right with you again. And Lord, I will go and I will share and I will, I will serve you. I will honor you. I will take the joy of your salvation and live in that joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the promise of forgiveness. We thank you, God, that you are a holy and a righteous God, but you did not send Jesus to condemn us, but you sent Jesus that we might be forgiven, that we might be saved, that our sins may be removed. And God, I pray that you would help all of us to recognize that we are all great sinners, but not all of us are great repenters. And I pray, Lord, that all of us would become and we would be great repenters, that we would learn how to repent that we would keep our accounts short with You. That, Lord, when You convict us, we would acknowledge and turn from our sin and ask You to help us to be who You would call us to be. God, I pray if there's one here today who has never accepted the free pardon of sin that Jesus offers, they have never asked Jesus to be the Lord of their life and confessed Him as their Lord and Savior and yielded their life to Him, I pray, God, that You would draw them today. There's one here who maybe has walked away from the Lord who needs to rededicate and recommit their life to you. I pray they would do that as well. Lord, I pray you just have your will and your way in this invitation. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As we stand and sing our hymn of invitation,